Chapter 2 of Cubs of the Wolf by Raymond F. Jones. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Zach Katzstein. Chapter 2 Cameron admitted to himself that he was getting more edgy as the day of departure approached, but he tried to keep Joyce from seeing it. He was worried about the possible development of further opposition, now that the Markovian had expressed his displeasure, and he was worried about their reception once they reached the nucleus. He wondered why they had not seen in advance that it would be an obvious blunder to let the Markovians be aware of their real purpose. It didn't even take a pirate ancestry to make groups unappreciative about resurrection of their family skeletons. But no other hindrance appeared, and on the evening before their departure, Father Gill called that word had been received from Ebbing, stating the Markovian representative had approved the visit now that Cameron had expressed a change in his objectives. Their coming had been announced to the Markovian people, and the way was prepared for an official welcome. Cameron was pleased by the change of attitude. He was hit for the first time, however, by the full force of the fact that he was taking his bride to a pirate center which the council had never overthrown and which was active only moments ago, culturally speaking. If any kind of trouble should develop, the council would be almost impotent in offering them assistance. On the face of it, there was no reason to expect trouble. But the peculiarly oblique opposition of the Markovian delegate in the council continued to make him uneasy. His tentative suggestion that he would feel better if he knew she were safe on Earth brought a blistering response from Joyce, which left him no doubt about carrying out his original plans. And then... As the last of their packing was completed and they were ready to call it a day, the phone buzzed. Cameron hesitated, determined to let it go unanswered, then punched the button irritably on audio only. Instead of the caller, he heard the voice of the operator. One moment, please. Interstellar Transpace printed. Please connect Visio. It was like a shock, he thought afterwards. There was no one he knew who could be making such a call to him, but automatically he did as directed. Joyce had come up and was peering over his shoulder now. The screen fluttered for a moment with polychrome colors and cleared. The message, printed for English translation, stood out sharply. Joyce and Cameron exclaimed simultaneously at the titling. It was from Premier Jargla executive head of the Markovian government. To Wilder, Cameron and Joyce, it read. Greetings and appreciation for your proposed visit to the Markovian nucleus for study of our history and customs. We have not been before so honored. We feel, however, that it is an imposition on your foundation and on you personally to require you to make the long journey to the nucleus for this purpose alone, while we would be honored to entertain you. 
It was the same proposition as Ebbing had reported the delegate offered, only this time from the head of the Markovian government himself. They sat up nearly all the rest of the night, considering this new development. Maybe you shouldn't go after all, said Joyce once. Maybe this is something that needs bigger handling than we can possibly give it. Cameron shook his head. I've got to go. They haven't closed the door and said we can't come. If I back out before they did, I'd be known for the rest of my life as the guy who was going to crack the Markovian problem. But I'd much rather you... No, if you're going, so am I. They consulted again with Father Gill and finally drafted as polite a reply as possible, explaining they were newly married, desired to make the trip a honeymoon excursion primarily, and conduct an investigation into Markovian culture to prevent the waste of the wonderful opportunity their visit would afford them. An hour before takeoff, a polite acknowledgement came back from the nucleus, assuring them a warm welcome and congratulating them on their marriage. They went at once to the spaceport and took over their stateroom. Before anything else happens to try to pull us off this investigation, Cameron said. The trip would be a long one, involving more than two months' subjective time because no express runs moved any distance at all in the direction of the nucleus. It was necessary to transfer three times, with days of waiting between ships on planets whose surface conditions permitted exploration only in cumbersome suits that could not be worn for more than short periods. Most of the waiting time was spent in the visitors' chambers at the landing fields. These seemed to grow progressively worse. The last one could not maintain a gravity below 2G, and the minimum temperature available was 104 degrees. There was a three-day wait here, and Joyce spent most of it lying on the bed, under the breeze of a fan which seemed to have required a special dispensation of the governing body to obtain. Cameron, however, was unwilling to spend his time this way, in spite of the discomfort imposed by any kind of activity. Humidity was a physical factor which seemed to have gone undiscovered by the inhabitants of the planet they were on. He was sure it was constantly maintained within a fractional percent of 100. As he donned a clean pair of trunks, and staggered miserably along the corridor toward a window that gave a limited view of the city about them. That was when he discovered that they were to be accompanied on the remainder of their journey by a Markovian citizen and his eyed servant. The visitors' chambers, in which these semi-Terran conditions were supplied, consisted of only three suites. The other two had been empty when Cameron and Joyce arrived the night before. Now, a Markovian eyed occupied a seat by the window. He glanced up with warm friendliness and invited Cameron to join him. Cameron hesitated, 
undecided for a moment whether to return to his suite for the portable semantic translator used in his profession at times like this. He always felt there was something decidedly unprofessional about resorting to their use and had spent many hours trying to master Markovian before leaving. He understood the eyed well enough and decided to see if he could get along without the translator. Thanks, he said, taking a seat. I don't suppose there's much else to do except look at the scenery here. The eyed showed obvious surprise that Cameron spoke the language without the use of an instrument. His look of pleasure increased. It is not often we find one of your race who has taken the trouble to make himself communicable with us. You must be expecting a long stay? Cameron's sense of caution returned as he remembered the previous results of indiscreet announcement of his purpose. He wiped the stream of sweat from his face and neck and took a good look at the eyed. The idealists were an anthropomorphic race, dark-skinned like the Terran Indian. Very few of them had ever appeared on Earth, however, and this was actually Cameron's first view of one in the flesh. He knew something of their reputation and characteristics from very brief study at the Institute, but no one really knew very much of the Ides as far as Earthmen were concerned. The warning of Father Gill to keep the main line of his research sank to the bottom of his mind as he leaned toward the stranger with a fresh sense of excitement inside him. I have never felt you could understand another man unless you spoke his language he said in his not-too-stumbling Markovian. The Eid, like himself, was dressed in the briefest of garments, and perspiration poured from the dark skin as he nodded. You speak sounder wisdom than one usually meets in a stranger, he said. May I introduce myself? Sal Caron, servant of the master Dals Ret Marthasa, Cameron introduced himself and cautiously explained that he and Joyce were on their honeymoon, but had a side interest in the history and customs of the Markovian nucleus. My people know so little about you, he said. It would be a great privilege to be able to take back information that would increase our mutual understanding. All that the idealists have belongs to every man and every race, said Sal Caron solemnly. What we can give you may be had for the asking, but I would give you a word of warning about my masters. Cameron felt the flesh of his back tingle with sudden chill as the eyes of the eyed turned full upon him. Do not try to find out the hidden things of the masters. That is what you have come for, is it not, Cameron Wilder? That is why you have taken so much trouble to learn the language we speak. I say, do not inquire of the things about which they do not wish to speak. My masters are a people who cannot yet be understood by the men of other worlds. In time, there will be understanding. 
but that time is not yet. You will only bring disaster and disappointment upon us and yourselves by attempting to hasten that time. I assure you, I have no intention of prying, said Cameron haltingly. He fumbled for the right Markovian words. You have misunderstood. We come only in friendship and with no intention of disturbing. The eyed nodded sagely. So many crises are originated by good intentions. But I am sure that now you understand the feelings of my masters in these things, that you will be concerned only with your own enjoyment while in the nucleus. And do come to the centers of the idealists, for there is much we can show you, and our willingness has no limits. For a moment, it was impossible for Cameron to remember that he was dealing with a mere servant of the Markovians. The Ides' words were so incisive and his manner so commanding that it seemed he must be speaking in his own right. And then his manner changed. His boldness vanished and he spoke obsequiously. You will forgive me, he said. But... This is a matter concerning which there is much feeling. Cameron Wilder was more than willing to agree with this sentiment. As he returned to his own quarters, he debated telling Joyce of his encounter with the Eid, deciding finally that he'd have to mention it, since they'd all be traveling together, but omitting the Eid's repetition of the previous warnings. He did not meet the Markovian, nor did he encounter the Eid again in the waiting quarters. It was not until they had embarked on the last leg of their journey and had been aboard the vessel for a day and a half that they met a second time. The ship was not a Markovian or Terran-type vessel of any kind. Another week's wait would have been required for one of those. As it was, their quarters were not too uncomfortable, although very limited. The bulk of the vessel was designed for crew and passengers very much unlike Terran or Markovian, and only a few suites were provided for accommodation of such races. This threw the travelers to the nucleus in close association again. Their suites opened to a common lounge deck, and when Cameron and Joyce went out, they found Sal Caron and the Markovian, Marthasa, already there. The Eid was on his feet instantly. With a sharp bow, he introduced the newcomers to his master. Dels Marthasa stood and extended a hand with a smile. I believe that is your greeting on earth, is it not? He said. You must be familiar with our homeworld, said Cameron, returning the handshake. Only a little, through my studies, said the Markovian. Enough to make me want to hear much more. Please join us. Since my Sarg told me we would be traveling together, I've looked forward to your company. The term Sarg, as Cameron learned shortly, was applied to all Ides attached to Markovians. 
it had a connotation somewhere between servant and companion. Salcaron remained in the background, but there was no servility in his manner. His eyes remained respectfully, almost fondly, that was the right word, Cameron thought curiously, on Marthasa. While the Eid was slender in build, the Markovian was taller and bulkier. His complexion was also dark, but not quite so much so as the Eid's. He was dressed in loose, highly colored attire that gave Cameron an impression of an oriental potentate of his own world. But somehow, there was a quality in Marthasa's manner that was jarring. It would have been less so if the Markovian had been less anthropomorphic in form and feature, but Cameron found it difficult to think of him as anything but a fellow man. A man of arrogance and ill manners, and completely unaware that he was so. It was apparent in his gestures and the negligence with which he leaned back and surveyed his companions. You'll be surprised when you see the nucleus, he said. We sometimes hear rumors circulating among the council worlds that Markovian culture is rather backward. I've never heard anything of the kind, said Cameron. In fact, we've heard almost nothing at all of the nucleus. That's why we decided to come. I'm sure we can make you glad you did. Don't you think so, Caron? The face of the Eid was very sober as he nodded solemnly. Indeed, Master. His burning eyes were boring directly into Cameron's own. I want to hear about your people, about Earth, said Marthasa. Tell me what you would like to see and do while you're in the nucleus. While Joyce answered, explaining they hardly knew what there was to be seen, Cameron's attention was fixed by the problem of the strange relationship between the two men, the two races. In the face of the Eid, there seemed a serenity, a dignity the Markovian would never know. Why had the Eids failed to lift themselves out of servility to a state of independence, he wondered. Joyce explained the story about their honeymoon and built their interest in Markovian culture as casual indeed. As she went on, Marthasa seemed to be struck by a sudden thought. I insist you make your headquarters with me during your stay, he said. I can see that you learn everything possible about the nucleus while you are here. My son is a chief historian at our largest research library, and my daughter has the post of assistant curator at our Museum of Science and Culture. You will never have a better opportunity to examine the culture of the nucleus. Cameron winced inwardly at the thought of Marthasa's companionship during their whole stay, and yet the Markovian statement might be perfectly true. There would be no better opportunity to make their study. We have an official note of welcome from your executive head, Premier Jargla, he said. While we would be very happy to accept your invitation, it may be that he has different plans for our reception. 
Marthasa waved a hand. I shall arrange for my appointment as your official host. Consider it agreed upon. It was agreed. But Joyce was not as optimistic as Cameron in regarding it an aid to their study. If they have a general aversion to talking about their pirate ancestry, Marthasa is just the boy to put us off the track, she said. If he gets a clue to what we really want to know, he'll keep us busy looking at everything else until we give up and go home. Cameron leaned back in the deep chair with his hands behind his head. It's not too hard to imagine Marthasa's great-great-grandfather running down vessels in space and pillaging helpless cities on other planets. The veneer of civilization doesn't look very thick. It's not hard to imagine Marthasa doing it, said Joyce. A scimitar between his teeth would be completely in character. If all goes well, you will probably see just that, figuratively speaking, of course, where a cultural shift has been so great as this one. You are certain to see evidence of both levels in conflict with one another. It's like a geologic fault line. Once we learn enough about the current mores, the anomalies will stand out in full view. That's what we want to watch for. One thing that's out of character right now is his offer of assistance through his son, the chief historian, said Joyce. That doesn't check with the previous invitations to stay home. Once they let us have access to their historical records, we'll have them pegged. We haven't got it yet, said Cameron. We can't be sure just what they'll let us see. But for my money, I'd just as soon tackle the question of the Ides. Sal Caron is twice the man Marthasa is, yet he acts like he has no will of his own when the Markovian is around. The Roman slave relationship, said Joyce. The Markovian probably conquered a large community of the Ides in their pirate days and brought them here as slaves, and I'll bet they are very much aware that the Ides are the better men. Marthasa knows it. That's why he has to put on a show in front of Sal Caron. He's the old Roman merchant struggling to keep up his conviction of superiority before the Greek scholar-slave. The Ides aren't supposed to be slaves. According to the little that we know, they are completely free. I'm going to get Marthasa's version of it anyway. Father Gill and the Foundation can't object to that much investigation of the Ides. He found the Markovian completely willing to talk about his Sarg. On the last day of the voyage, they managed to be alone for a time without the presence of Sal Caron. Marthasa shook his head in answer to Cameron's question. No, the Sarg is not a slave. Not in the sense I believe you mean it. None of the Ides are. It's a matter of religion with them to be attached to us the way they are. They have some incomprehensible belief that their existence is of no value unless they are serving their fellow beings. Since that means all of them, they can't be satisfied by serving each other. So they have to pick on some other race. 
I don't recall when they first showed up in the nucleus, but it's been many generations ago. There have been Ides in my family for a half dozen generations anyway. They had space flight, so they came under their own power? Cameron asked incredulously. No, nothing like that. You can't imagine them building spaceships, can you? They migrated at first as lowest-class passengers on the commercial lines. Nobody knows just where they came from. They don't even know their own homeworld. At first, we tried to persuade them to go somewhere else. But then, we saw how useful they could be with their fanatic belief in servitude. At present, there is probably no family in the nucleus that doesn't have at least one Eid Sarg. Many of us have one for every member of the family. Marthasa paused. The tone of his voice changed. When you've had one almost all your life, as I've had Sal Caron, it, well, it does something to you. What do you mean? Cameron asked cautiously. Consider the situation from Sal Caron's point of view. He has no life, whatever, that is his own. His whole purpose is to give me companionship and satisfy my requirements. And I don't have to force him in any way. It's all voluntary. He's free to leave, even, anytime he wants to. But I'm certain he never will. Why do you feel so sure of this? It's hard to explain. I feel as if I've become so much a part of him that he couldn't survive alone anymore. He's the one who made it that way, not me. I have become indispensable to his existence. That's the way I explain it to myself. Most of my friends agree that this is about right. It's rather difficult to understand a relationship like that unless you put it in terms I'm familiar with on Earth. Yes? What would it be called among your people? When a man so devotes his life to another, we say it is because of love. Marthasa considered the word. You would be wrong, he said. It's just that, in some way, we have become indispensable to the Ides. They're parasites, if you want to put it that way. But they provide us a relationship we can get nowhere else. And that does us a great deal of good. That's what I meant when I said it does something to us. What about the Ides' own culture? Haven't they any community ties among themselves? Or do they ignore their own kind? We've never investigated very much. I suppose some of our scholars know the answer to that, but the rest of us don't. The Ides have communities, all right. Not all of them are in service as Sargs at one time. They have little groups and communities on the outskirts of our cities, but they don't amount to much. As a race, they are simply inferior. They don't have the capacity for a strong culture of their own. 
so they can't exist independently and build a social structure like other people. It's this religion of theirs that does it. They won't let go of it. As long as they hang on to it, they can't stand on their own feet. But you don't need to feel sorry for them. We treat them all right. Of course, didn't mean to imply anything else, said Cameron. Do you know if there are other eyed groups serving in other galaxies? Must be thousands of them altogether. Out beyond the nucleus, away from your galaxy, you can't find a planet anywhere that isn't using the Ides. It's a wonderful setup. The Ides get what they want, and we get Sargs, with nothing like the slave relationship you had in mind. With slaves, there's rebellion, constant need of watchfulness, and no genuine companionship. A Sarg is different. He can be a man's friend. End of chapter 2